the In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. podcast. Please like the podcast, podcast. and subscribe podcast. to this channel. Podcast. Thank you. Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now. Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My new book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices. Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life. Available from Amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available. When the Mood is Right, A Poetry Journey and Mood Swings by Queen P. Available on Amazon and all good bookstores. The Royal Affair by Queen P. Dim the lights, sit back, relax, and breathe. You have entered into the Royal Affair. Queen P. Poetry Podcasts. Available now, 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 now. The Royal Affair. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my In Conversation podcast series. My guest for this episode is an author and also an advocate for raising awareness regarding sexual abuse and discrimination in the Catholic Church. American Margaret Mary O'Connor. Hi, Margaret. Welcome to my podcast series. How are you? Oh, I'm doing real good. Thank you, Nigel. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you here. So where do you live at the moment? Uh, I live in Buffalo, New York. So did you grow up there? Yes, I did. And what was your childhood like? Uh, I grew up uh, in an Irish Catholic uh, family, and I had two brothers, uh, one older, and my younger brother, Paul, died when he was 11. Uh, I'm a fraternal twin, so there was never any worry about wearing identical clothes or, you know, any type of issues like that. But my twin sister, Pat, died of cancer when she was 44. Uh, My mom was an organist at the Catholic Church. And like when I was four or five, I really enjoyed the Sunday weekend mass back in the 1950s growing up in the Catholic Church for a girl there really were no role models on the altar. It was always strictly men. And in fact, we were told, look at there never were women priests within the Catholic Church. So, you know, it really seemed pretty cut and dry. But when you think of what any woman has lost by not having like role models of women on the altar, it's in a, in a sense, it's your own religious heritage that has been lost. And what I mean by that is if you were a boy, uh, say in a family, uh, Christopher might have been a priest, your uncle um, Ryan was a bishop, and um, maybe your uncle Sean was a cardinal. Well, if you're a young boy, you have like this experience, this religious heritage, you know, within your family to see. Whereas in the context of a woman, we didn't have any of those examples for us. Yes, we had Mary, but we were looking to see like a woman priest. And there just was none of that, unfortunately. So why were you motivated to discuss sexual discrimination and abuse in the church? Okay, I had been picketing for women's uh, ordination. 
And then where I live in Buffalo, back in uh, 2018, it started, um, we had a, I called him a bishop enabler. And basically, he was looking the other way. And when these records started to come out, it was like a chessboard. You'd see all these uh, priests were like being moved all over, like maybe from Buffalo to Orchard Park to West Seneca to East Aurora. And then this priest, his big thing was right away, we will have a prayer service. And I mean, it just struck me. Here's a man that's supposed to be representing God, and he's up there conducting a prayer service for victims that had been raped. And yet he's part of the problem. You know, moving, I call again, he was an enabler. That really just struck me. And I just, I I did, I felt a personal call to uh, come and picket. And then at the time I was picketing with Dan, who was a former victim. There was another lady there at one point that she herself had been raped by a sister. But what really struck me was, where was this throngs of other Catholics joining us? If there were five picketers at a time, that would be like a crowd. And then it made me really look back in our church history. We had a term called pray and obey. And what that basically meant was you never would question like your pastor, let alone what Rome did. Did you have like, you know, any special training in this uh, religious area? And I really think, especially within the Catholic Church, through the centuries preceding, uh, obviously, the 50s, and then like going into until like maybe the 80s, and when things started to, you know, come out, Catholics just never, that that wasn't in your mindset to ever question what like the hierarchy, what your bishop was doing, what your pastor was doing. And then after Vatican II, that was a, a council, and this pope was really with it. He wanted to see the ta- the signs of the times, and he made changes, and then there was like parish councils and that. But for the longest time, again, this was just wonderful for the church hierarchy because no one was questioning their moves, let alone watching you know, what they were up to. And I think it's unfortunately like an apathy that it's not like ingrained in our mindset to be questioning. So you have like a whole older generation, not that I don't want to put people in a specific category, but there are so many more in that generation. Obviously for them, this pray and obey had been going on for such a long time they're very hesitant to question the hierarchy. And whether I was out picketing for the woman priest or on the sexual priest issue, they would come up to us and they would say, you're the ones that are destroying the church. Stop lying to us. Go over to that other church three blocks away. You don't belong in the church. Ooh, she has the bishop's name on her sign. And what struck me then was they are so like with the church, they're not taking time to even momentarily step back and see, you know, the damage that's been done. So I did at one point say to a woman, I don't understand if this hierarchy, if they think it's all right, the children are being abused, they're being raped, then why can't I stand here and speak out against that? 
And the funny part was we didn't, we were a very quiet picket. You know, when you think of like a a picket line, you know, the union people are yelling, shouting. No, we let our sign speak for us. It does sound like a culture of indoctrination to me. Do you think that has led to the numerous complaints against the Catholic Church worldwide? Well, once, of course, this awful behavior. I mean, you know, sexual abuse, there's just no excuse for it. And of course, it is spread because I look at just Buffalo dioceses, and there were over 100 priests. There's actually more, who knows how many more they've been hiding that we never knew about, you know, that were charged as such. And that's just in Buffalo. Well, then let's go to Rochester. Let's go to Syracuse, Albany. Let's go all the way into New England. I mean, let's go through every single state, every diocese just in the U.S. And of course, that's not going over to Australia, going into Ireland, going anywhere in Europe, South America, anywhere, basically, where there are Catholic churches, where you have the hierarchy there. And this is so systemic that it is mind boggling, because first of all, I don't know Where are these men coming from? I mean, don't they have any fear of God? That that really, that hit me in the back of my mind. I mean, how can they just make such like a mockery out of, of what they are supposed to be living? I mean, let's face it, we knew Jesus as someone that was honest, someone that was truthful, and someone that wouldn't ever put up with such awful behavior. Obviously, if people that are allowing this, whether it's bishops, whether it's the cardinals, if they're never arrested, this is just going to go on and on. And we heard something shocking. There was a retired Buffalo police officer. And back in the 70s, he was recalling that it was just a given, say a priest was arrested at nighttime in some park. Well, they would be, you know, put in the police car, taken to the police station. But conveniently, they were never fingerprinted. Their pictures were, there was like no mug shot taken. A call was made to the chancery and under the cover of darkness, uh, some other priest would come and pick up this offending priest. So then you wonder, is there, I mean, it's awful to say, but I mean, these thoughts go through your mind. Is there, was there some sort of a payoff there? Just unbelievable. So how do you raise awareness about this very important issue? Well, picketing was my main means. And then I was just so personally disgusted with the realization of finding out that my church had lied to me, that there actually were women bishops, women priests, women deacons within the Catholic Church. And it was within the early past church history. That was the area that our Catholic Church till today never acknowledges. And I always wondered, why Why won't they? Well, of course, that's the time frame of these women in these specific positions. So anyway, I heard what I thought were rumors through the years that, yes, there were women priests. And you get to a certain age, and I thought, I'm going to try to get an answer to this because obviously my hierarchy is not giving me, you know, it's the same old, same old. So it wasn't until I discovered books like John Winchgard's book, The Ordination of Woman in the Catholic Church, or Gary Macy's uh, The Hidden History of Woman Priests, or there's even a Sister Chris Schenk, Christina and her sisters, uh, early office holders. And they looked into the catacombs, and they have such a 
really detailed, uh, not only the pictures, but then the explanation behind them. And they give like an illustration where there's like a bishop and the way his clothes were and the chair was whatever, whenever you would see that high chair that was designated only for a bishop. So say that drawing of the bishop was on the left. Well, then on the right, there's this other drawing and it's a woman now. And she's attired in priestly vestments that they said would have been like a bishop's um, vestments. And she's sitting in the same chair. So it's, it's really amazing. But what I'm finding out through biblical research, that yes, we had women priests, women bishops, deacons, and the most famous of all women priests was Mary, Mother of God. And Jesus's mother was called Mary Priest, and her title was the model for all priesthood in the Catholic Church. So she went about 16 centuries from A.D. 300 up till 1927. And I wondered, well, wait a minute, what happened in 1927 that her title was taken away from her? And John Winsgard said, it could be a coincidence, but that same year, women from other faith denominations, they started to speak out that they wanted to become woman priests. But Nigel, it was the way that her title was taken away from her. The Roman official was talking to the Roman newspaper man. It was well the way you handled this question. It is good that this question be put to sleep. They're referring to Mary, Mother of God, like some type of an object. I found this very disrespectful. Well, Margaret, you're actually an author yourself. So what is your book called and what is it about? It's called Scandal in the Shadows, the Original Priest, Mother Mary. And it basically gives Catholics, Christians, a view of the Catholic Church like they've never seen it. Because most Catholics, millions of them, whether here in the U.S. or uh, in Europe, they have no idea of this hidden History. It's a centuries-old scandal of lies and cover-up. And what do I mean by cover-up? Back in 1976, the Pope has his own commission. It's called the Pontifical Biblical Commission. And they came out explicitly, the findings said, there is no reason why women can't become priests. So what did the hierarchy do? From 1976 till today, they've sat on that. Go back to 1974. There was an international theological commission, and this time they were looking into were there women deaconesses. So my question is, if they would have only acted, and they did find indeed there were women deaconesses, Pope Francis never would have had to convene the 2016 hearing, which is still going on. They've reconvened it with another group of people. They never came out what actually happened in the 2016 discussion. But going back in the early church, there were three Greek documents found, and they were all in agreement. Women back then were called women deaconesses. And whether it was the man or a woman that was going to be ordained as a deacon, they both were on the altar. They were in the presence of uh, a bishop who uh, officiated in prayer over them. And as he laid, you know, hands over them, they each had like a stole put around their neck. They both took from the chalice the cup. They drank from that. 
Yes, women were deacons. So here again, we've got this complete silence. And then even in Vatican II, they had councils like the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, the Constitution on the Church, and in the one, the Constitution uh, on the Modern Church, uh, Gaudium Espes, there was an Article 29, and that specifically wanted to get rid of any type of discrimination within our Catholic Church. Well, any type would have, of course, took care of the issue of women's inequality in our church. Nothing, nothing on that. And they've even disavowed Jesus's biblical words like Galatians um, 3.28, there is no man or woman, all are one in Christ Jesus. Or you go back further in, in Genesis, in the divine image, God created them, woman and men, God made them. So Jesus has said that women are as equal as men, and yet in the church today, this isn't even on the uh, hierarchy's radar. And this is really shocking, Nigel. Back in 2010, when our Pope Francis was a cardinal, his book on heaven and earth, he said in so many words that when the woman feminists received their rights in regards to woman's suffrage, now that would have been 1920, they basically received what they wanted. I mean, as a woman, do you mean since 1920, we don't have, we don't have any other issues, but seriously, take that issue, put it back into the church. And if you have our current Pope thinking that this isn't, woman's equality isn't even an issue, yes, the women in the Catholic Church are really in in dire straits. And that's why, uh, if there's that sort of thinking, is maybe why they don't move on their own commission's findings, whether it be 74 or 76, from what Vatican II said, and even completely um, disavowing Jesus's biblical words on women's equality. What did Vatican I and Vatican II involve? I'll tell you, (laughs) Vatican I, I really don't know. But Vatican II, this would have been back in the 60s, it convened in 62, and there was a Pope, John the 23rd, and he came out and said that uh, he wanted to open the windows of the church. He wanted, in other words, the church to see the signs of the times. And through research that they did, just as an illustration, It used to be if any priest was saying a mass in the Catholic Church, no matter where he was saying it, his back was to you. Like if you were sitting out in the pews, if you look forward to the altar, you would see the priest's back. Well, after Vatican II, the priest turned around and was facing you. The priest was no longer saying the mass like in Latin. He was saying it in English. And if you're one, like I didn't know Latin, Uh, To me, it made a world of difference. You know what I mean? Uh, And I think it's more personable. You're seeing the person. But through research, and I think this is pretty neat, they found out that the current mass that is said now is the closest thing to how the mass was back in the earliest centuries of our Catholic Church. And There were, unfortunately, so many Catholics that didn't, uh, they didn't understand this because they always knew the Mass as the uh, Latin Mass. And they never realized, go back centuries before that, our Mass was said in Greek. 
And before it was said in the Greek language, maybe it was in the Aramaic. There's been a change like that. So there really have been changes, even though I know the church moves very slowly. But in that procession, uh, you're not going to see altar girls. You're not going to see any woman Eucharistic ministers or any, uh, even within the church, you won't see like any uh, woman electors. And to me, it's like they're trapped in a sense, like in a time warp, a time tunnel. I really find it sad because where is this uh, economical movement to start involved, like, you know, talking to other denominations? And this was another thing at Vatican II. And it was unheard of. Pope John had other ministers from like, you know, other faith denominations come and actually attend, which was pretty neat. And I wanted to ask you, during your work raising awareness, what organizations are you involved with? There's Call to Action, Future Church, Women's Ordination Conference, Roman Catholic Woman Priest, And I also include SNAP, and this is for survivors of those who were abused by priests. So if Catholics that are listening or Christians are really upset and don't want to be a part of, like, you know, bringing back women priests in the church, if they could look um, at the issue of priest sexual abuse, because that's still going on. But getting back to these different organizations, it's really an avenue for anyone out there listening that, you know, obviously you will be in shock because I was in shock when I first, it was like unbelievable. But then if you want to move forward in, in a way, think, well, gee, what can I do to try to help? Because if we have factual evidence that there were women priests, bishops, deacons, and of course, Mary being the most famous woman priest, what can we do to try to turn things around? Well, I think the answer definitely is the current church hierarchy has to finally be accountable. You would say for what they've done, but in this case, it's for what they haven't done and should be doing. And that's going to take the average laity, that's the like regular people that go to mass every week, to get them, you know, to become involved. And you might be thinking, oh, gee, am I doing something wrong? No, there is uh, in the uh, Constitution of of the Church, uh, in the specific one on the laity, it does say that any uh, member of the laity can speak out on issues of importance. And, of course, this for any woman, this is your religious heritage that you should be able to be a part of if you get a personal call from Jesus and you want to become a woman priest, you as well should have that chance. So, Margaret, how can people contact you? Uh, You can simply go to my website, yourradicaltruth.com. That's yourradicaltruth.com. I have a petition. And the listeners, I would appreciate it. It's all your decision. If you find something there that you agree with, if you uh, would sign that, because I am asking Pope Francis to reinstate Mary Mother of God's title. And I'm asking him also to look into the issue of women's inequality in our Catholic Church today. And the petition is there. There's a chapter four that is free. They'd like to read that. And as well, there's my blog there. And then uh, under the media section, if they want to listen to any of the you know, podcast shows. 
to get a, a better idea of, you know, what's going on with this issue. Margaret in the USA, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Nigel. I appreciate it. The podcast series hosted by author Nigel Beckles, featuring discussions with award-winning authors, therapists, coaches, plus individuals with intriguing stories to share. Available on all major podcast platforms now, 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 now.